Space shuttles, airplanes, parachutes, skydiving, circuses, jaws, explosions, and plans to kill Bond. And a beautiful woman. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. Tom Pizzato. I'm Vicky Hodges. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Join us as we get a leg up on the pre-title sequence of Moonraker. After the gun barrel scene, our gun barrel circle moves and focuses on a shot of the Moonraker shuttle being transported atop a heavily modified 747 jet in transit to England, we discover. The crew thinks they're making good time considering the load they are carrying. Okay. Just trust the RAF, sir. <laughs> yes, right. That's what he says. Okay, so far, so good. Now, the real shuttle, a NASA vehicle, was first launched in 1981 and was indeed transported atop a 747 to move it to where they needed it. So, this is an accurate detail in the movie Moonraker. Of course, it was in development for years and it took its first free flight in 1977, the real shuttle, two years before Moonraker was released. All right, so we next see a shot of the interior of the shuttle as the two panels open and from each emerges a man. Uh, then they climb a ladder into the cockpit of the shuttle. Now, the real shuttle did have a large cargo bay just Wait, what would they what would they be going into the shuttle for, Dan? They they're being piggybacked on the 747 right now. This should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> again. Oh, they're trying to intrigue us a little bit here. Once again, who are these guys? What are they doing? <laughs> they're on the shuttle? Wait a minute. All right. Now, now the real shuttle did have a large cargo bay just below and behind the flight deck or the cockpit. So climbing up to the flight deck cockpit makes sense here. So that's good. The bay in the movie seems narrow, and we're not certain that there was a narrow bay like that aboard the shuttle, the real shuttle, so close to the cockpit, but the bay was designed to carry satellites and related equipment, but there was a mid-deck below, so we will assume that this is where these guys were stowaways. So this too can be accurate. We looked at the sketches of the, of the shuttle drawings and everything from NASA to make sure that this was cool. And I like the fact that Eon Productions did consult with NASA to make Moonraker seem more feasible than, say, Star Wars, which came out two years earlier. Yeah, that's true. All right, the two stowaways sit in the pilot and co-pilot seats on the shuttle, and a panel aboard the 747 with two illuminated green lights that read shuttle lock now changes to a yellow light lighting up, ignition, as a red warning light below starts flashing. Yeah. Now, a friend of mine, Philip Latchford, is a Moonraker expert. Oh, yes. And he sent us a message on the pre-title sequence to help us out. We'll play through the parts of his message as we go through our decoding of the pre-title sequence. Yeah. Here is Philip's first comment. Hello, SpyMovieNavigator.com. This is Philip Latchford, a.k.a. Agent Latchford, a.k.a. The Daily Moonraker, a.k.a. the custodian of the B-11 timeline. And I just want to give you my thoughts on the Moonraker pre-title sequence. We start off with nighttime and a mystery. You see a silhouette of a jumbo jet with a, a space shuttle on, and then closing in, and I love this bit, close in, you see the words Moonraker. I have to say it's quite horrific how the pilots die in this sequence, um, burnt to death on the flight deck. It's truly horrific. Interestingly enough, uh, the guy in the middle is Dennis Surratt, who was Roger Moore's stand-in for most of the shoot. 
Ah. Now, that was really interesting (laughs) on the standing. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. All right. Then we see inside the 747, the co-pilot or pilot yells, what the hell is that? And now NASA had two pilots and a co-pilot on the real shuttle. So this is true. This is, again, accurate. The pilot looks worried. The shuttle ignition. Then we see the shuttle exhaust flame shooting out of the back and a quick inside shot and the shuttle pilots disengage from the 747 and fly the shuttle away, scraping along the 747 and its exhausts engulfing the 747 in flames. Bam! The 747 explodes. Boom. Done. Gone. Ah. Yeah, yeah, that could happen. (laughs) Uh, Come on. Now, we, we see a quick cut to M at his desk, and he's on the phone. Now, Philip Latchard also has an interesting observation here, too. Yeah. And then we move on to the M scene. And what's interesting is 26 seconds. 26 seconds. That's the exact same amount of time that the Spy Love Me M scene was. In fact, both are very, very, very similar. There's a really funny story about it in uh, John Glenn's book. And then M says, disappeared. And what happened to him, the Moonraker? Good God. Yes. Yes, of course, Minister. Right away. <laughs> yeah, all right. Now, we pointed out in our bondage tying up the Gadgets and Moonraker <laughs> yeah. podcast with our guest Joe Papalardo that the shuttle was not a plane. You couldn't just fly around a shuttle. No. So igniting its engines while on top of the 747 and flying away was probably, not even probably, was out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah. The shuttle was basically a 70-ton glider. <laughs> yep. In reality, at the aft section of the 747, two struts went up and inside the shuttle orbiter. So, <laughs> yeah. Nah. <laughs> nah. Now, before they had the piggyback idea on the 747, they thought of maybe attaching jet engines to it so it could fly itself, but they didn't. Yeah. And John Kiker, a NASA engineer, came up with the piggyback idea. So the entire premise of this pre-title sequence and the theft of the Moonraker on the back of the 747, it's it's a no-go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get over that. (laughs) So back to M. He asks Moneypenny if Bond is back from that African job. And she replies, he's on his last leg, sir. Phil had an interesting comment on this part as well. (laughs) Then we move on to uh, Bond on his way back from the African job on his last leg. And uh, a scene which uh, you obviously wouldn't get these days uh, on the cinema. and probably won't see that in no time to die. And uh, you've got the femme fatale who who seduces Bond into obviously getting on the plane. And then the pilot of the plane comes out. Uh, Interesting, he's... uh, got a very easy look to duplicate um, with a big moustache hair covered over um, and also the, the big glasses that's because the uh, the French actor whose name escapes me um, they could easily double um, for BJ Worth who played him in the uh, the fight scene which uh, happens in a moment you might also see a little glimpse of Jaws's leg in the background that's how he got on the plane he was piloting the plane as well but it's quite a, a close fight it's in enclosed um enclosed environment so it's, it's very tense all right once again we know what's coming and they are not letting this line go 
right? (laughs) (laughs) They wrote it in to give us the next shot. Yes, Bond's on a plane, feeling up a woman's thigh as his hand raises her skirt and as he moves up and he's kissing her. Now, I never paid attention to where her hands are during all of this. (laughs) Her wrists are crossed with the left hand visible and the right hand not visible and they're crossed right at the point of her crotch and Bond's crotch. So I I don't know what she's doing with the right hand. I'm I, I just, think she's probably just knitting, Dan. I, <laughs> <laughs> knitting a, a little sweater. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. And she has a great line here. Any higher, Mr. Bond, my ears will pop. <laughs> okay, that's good because as planes go higher, your ears pop and so so it's kind of a double entendre here, but that's a great line. So there's a long shot of the private twin turboprop plane that he's on. It's Apollo Airways. Then back to the inside of the plane with Bond and the woman. Bond's enjoying his time and says, I don't think I'm going to fly with anyone else. <laughs> All right, it's a good setup because then she comes back and says, you're so right, Mr. Bond, as she holds a pistol on him, a pistol, and gets up pointing it at him. Now, this is a Wait, beautiful- wait, wait, before you go further. Money Penny said he's on his last leg. Yeah. He's touching her leg, and then there's a pistol at him. That could be his last leg. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> that. So yeah. that's right. That's a good point. And now, this is a beautiful, well-appointed private plane, and we know about guns on planes from Goldfingers. I mean, come on, what will happen here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but White, where did she get that gun? Unless instead of knitting, as Tom joked about, she may have had the gun in her right hand. But she comes up with it in her left hand. Yeah. Bond would have felt that switch. Seemed a bit far-fetched for me. Yeah. Yeah, that, that area is a little sensitive, you'd feel, if the thing moved from the left. <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't a Derringer. It would have looked like a snub-nosed thirty-eight. So, I mean, it's a pretty good pistol revolver, right? So, uh, just then the cockpit door opens and out walks a sunglassed man with a parachute on and carrying another chute in his left hand. Wait, are they planning on parachuting out and leaving Bond to die on the plane? This great plane is going to crash just to kill Bond? Uh, could there be a better way? Have they not seen You Only Live Twice? <laughs> I mean, remember Helga Brand is flying Bond to Tokyo? She grabs Bond in his seat, then he drops a device which is supposed to explode and lights the flare and disguises lipstick container. And she parachutes out to safety while the plane with Bond crashes? Well, that didn't work. (laughs) We're in another Bond movie here. Way after You Only Live Twice. Have they learned nothing? (laughs) And it seems like they're so often willing to sacrifice nice planes just to try to kill Bond. Instead of just finishing him off on the ground. Or as we say quite often, just Just shoot shoot him! How many fight scenes on planes has Bond been in? Let's see. We've got The Living Daylights. We've got License to Kill. There are helicopter flights in For Your Eyes Only Inspector. They they like to do this. Yeah. (laughs) This co-pilot then, with a shoot, takes the gun from the woman, hands her the extra shoot and says, this is where we leave you, Mr. Bond, (laughs) and then shoots at the instrument panel. And I like that we see the two bullet holes from the first two shots in the instrument panel. Yeah. Now, but note how calmly Bond sits there while the instruments are shot out. <laughs> right. He's cool. 
right. There's some great product placement here mm. as this shot includes an ice bucket with a bottle of champagne. Yeah. And we know it's Bollinger because we see Bollinger inscribed on it. In the distance on the left, you can see another bucket as well. <laughs> now, I still drink Bollinger to this day in part because of Bond. Mm. The other reason, Bollinger RD is really damn good. <laughs> and, <laughs> Now, my comment there about it being really damn good isn't a product placement. I just like Bollinger RD champagne. Yeah, Bollinger will be very happy to hear that their product placement strategy worked. Yeah, because now we're talking about Tom's it again. And Tom's drinking it. But I remember when I was with a software company, we closed a big deal in New York, and the team uh, went out to dinner at a club, and we drank two bottles of it. So it is pretty good. I have a bottle of Bollinger in my Bond room, but it's empty. <laughs> That's the best kind. <laughs> yeah, I actually, t- last, last year I finished off, I had a 1989 Bollinger, and I was worried about it. It was still really good. It was, pretty right. it was really good. Mm-hmm. Bollinger, you might want to sponsor our podcast. All right. <laughs> Back to Bond in peril. Enjoy your flight. But Bond kicks the gun out of his hand. Of course, you know, Bond was calm this whole time. And he kicks it towards the woman, and a fight begins. Now, the woman was busy putting on her parachute and doesn't have her gun because she gave it to the co-pilot, but she also is not going after the gun that just flew by her. (laughs) She (laughs) continues putting on her chute. So, okay, all right, we got to give her a little break there. She's got to have her chute on or she's not getting out alive because they shot the instrument panels out. So Yeah, I'd be prioritizing on the chute at that point, too. Yeah, but hurry up and get the gun for crying out loud. So Bond and the pilot exchange a few punches and so on. And and while they're they're near the side door, the pilot, with his chute on his back, pulls the emergency door release lever, and boom, the door flies open with the two of them close to falling out. Thank goodness Bond gets the better of the pilot, and he throws him out of the door. Okay, that leaves Bond and the woman, and no chute for Bond. And the instrument shot out, and wherever the other yeah. leg was... Yeah, and by the way, the plane, and by the way, the plane is flying remarkably well too. <laughs> yeah, it's, for something it's, with the instrument panel yeah, shot yeah. out, nobody <laughs> flying it. Yeah, and the well, other guy's late. If you put it on autopilot, it keeps going even if the instrument panel shot out. Oh know. my God, I don't know. Now, for some reason, and you got to wonder, the Bond's of a trained agent here, right? He he lingers at the door, watching the pilot falling. <laughs> Leaving himself, vul- <laughs> leaving himself vulnerable for, yeah, getting pushed out without a shoot. I mean, uh, pushed by another guy. Now, where was this other guy? But wait, there is another person in the cockpit assumingly flying the plane. Not anymore, though. <laughs> and the instruments are shot out, presumably, <laughs> yeah. presumably, so Bond won't be able to fly the plane. Neither so will that other guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where they shot out the instruments, right? So Bond yeah. can't fly himself to safety. It's like... Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But he's flying the crippled plane just like we talked about. Uh, what took him so long to get out here then? He can't fly the damn plane. <laughs> the instruments are shot out, but here we go. Well, yeah, the guy who pushes him out has his hair parted in the middle. The next shot is of Jaws, who apparently pushed Bond out. Yeah. But his hair is parted on the right. <laughs> well, maybe that was the wind. Continuity. <laughs> <laughs> no, that could have been the wind, not continuity. Yeah, right. The wind parted his hair perfectly down the middle or down the right side. Okay, woo. All right. Well, Bondy's falling to his certain death. Yeah. And he and he sees the pilot still free falling. No shoot, not deployed yet. 
hear the Bond music, and we know something good is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Phil has an interesting discussion about The Last Leg <laughs> and a short story about the pilot. So let's listen. Hey. Um, and then both fall out. Well, actually, Bond is pushed out. And you get this fantastic scene um, from, sp- from, from the air where Bond swoops down after the pilot, uh, manages to get the parachute off of the pilot. It's fantastic. They're obviously trying to uh, do one more than uh, the Spyro Love Me. And the Spyro Love Me, yes, he's got a parachute. This one, no parachute. Makes it more exciting. You've got the Wilhelm scream, very famous scream, as the pilot sort of falls away without his parachute, sort of clutching onto air, trying to uh, to save himself. Then obviously Jaws swoops in. I love this bit, where he swoops in, like that sort of, like a bird of prey, the way he comes in, it's fantastic. And then obviously fights with, with uh, Bond, only very briefly. Not such a fan of the, the inserts that were done in a studio in this bit with a rear projection. It doesn't quite look right, but, but never mind. You, you've got to, I guess you've got to find out why their fight sort of ends anyway. Yeah, <laughs> this scene fun. here when they're out of the plane just gives me the willies. <laughs> I mean, Dan, yeah. you, you, you've experienced how much I like heights. Yeah, when yeah. When we were on our gondola rides around Peace Gloria. Yeah, yeah, you I love mean, those. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can hardly watch this, let alone ever think I'd jump or let myself get pushed out of a perfectly functioning plane. That's not now, one a perfectly could argue that functioning this isn't plane. A perfect, yeah, one could say this isn't perfectly no. functioning, but, boy, it would take a lot to get me out of a plane. All right, so you're not going skydiving at all. No. Okay, all right. <laughs> I do remember the gondola rides in Switzerland, and that was high enough for you, I think. I was calm, cool, and collected the whole time. <laughs> yes, Not you were. at all. Staring <laughs> straight ahead. So, <laughs> uh, uh. oh, Bond is maneuvering himself towards the pilot in midair while falling. Always calm and cool. He catches up to the pilot, wraps his arms around his legs, flips in the air a few times as they struggle. So somehow Bond, well, I mean, he is Bond. He wrestles the parachute off the pilot and kicks the pilot away, falling on his own, as Bond affixes the parachute to himself. Wow. All right, that's brilliant. Don had a parachute in his backpack in the previous movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, as we recall. Again, here, a parachute saves him from certain death, but this time, he had to fight for his chute while falling. Like um, they, did, they didn't need to find something like the Asgard Peak, just huh? jump out of a plane. Much less, much less time-consuming for Eon to shoot. Now, we do have another friend of ours, John Cork, who sent us some comments about this Moonraker pre-title. Yeah. John, by the way, is a great guy. He's co-authored three James Bond books and produced and directed a lot of the James Bond Ultimate DVD Edition extras that you get with those James Bond DVD sets. Hey, guys. John Cork here from a uh, secret location in Salt Lake City, Utah. I understand you're about to do a deep dive into the pre-title sequence of Moonraker. I was very fortunate. I got to see that pre-title sequence at the U.S. premiere at the Rivoli Theater in 1979 through very absurd shenanigans that, that got me into that theater. But I got to hear the reaction of that audience, one of the first U.S. audiences to ever see that sequence put together. And, and it was incredible. But just as incredible to me was some years later finding a film from a decade earlier that included virtually every one of those aerial stunts, many of them shot the same way. That film 
directed by one of the great action film directors of all time, John Frankenheimer. Incredible cast. Burt Lancaster, Gene Hackman, Deborah Kerr, who of course was a Bond woman in her own right in the 1967 Casino Royale. But that film wasn't a success. Still not very well seen today. And I imagine most people listening to this podcast are going, I have no idea what film he's talking about. The film is The Gypsy Moths, and it's about a group of stunt performers who do these aerial shows in small towns across the country and sort of their own challenges uh, that go on while they're doing these shows, including some accidents. But all the technology you see in Moonraker, the parachutes hidden under uh, rip-away suit jackets, the free falls, the camera work off of helmet cams, all of that stuff you can see in the Gypsy Moths. And I think it would be very informative for you to take a look at it and for anybody who's listening to take a look at it and see how somebody like a Michael G. Wilson, who probably saw this, I have no evidence of that one way or another, but take a look at it and think about how he might have looked at these types of stunts and said, wait a second, I know how to put that into the world of James Bond. Anyway, I look forward to what you guys have to say about the pre-title sequence. Keep up the great work. Take care. Now, I think John may be right here. A lot of what we see in Moonraker here during this free fall sequence, practically all of this free falling, skydiving, death defying tricks we see are in the 1969 movie, The Gypsy Moths, directed by John Frankenheimer, who also directed the 1962 movie, The Manchurian Candidate. So we watched The Gypsy Moths and wow, yeah, Moonraker may have been influenced here. And here, yeah, but one thing one thing I'm going to say about the gypsy moths is mm-hmm. it's not the same kind of even though there's some of this aerial acrobatics, it's not the same kind of movie as no, a James no. Bond movie. Oh, no, it starts with the aerial acrobatics, it ends with the aerial acrobatics, <laughs> and then take a nap in between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no one's saying this, it's a great movie, but I think it may have influenced the Moonraker. Oh, here absolutely, the oh. aerial acrobatics did. You can you can see some of the stuff being used there, but. If you're going to go watch the movie just for those clips, just be ready for a um, yeah, not action-filled movie other than the beginning and end. Yeah, that's our end of the Gypsy Moths review. <laughs> All right. So here's another John Frankenheimer Bond connection. In an article on bondfanevents.com, it said that he spoke with Oregon-based journalist Sean Levy, and he told him that Albert Broccoli offered... Frankenheimer, the part of Bond in 1962. He turned them down and said, he turned them down. And he said he would also not even direct a, a Bond wait, wait, movie. So they're saying that he was offered the part of James Bond, yeah. not to direct it, yeah. but to actually play James Bond. Yeah, right. Wow. He turned them down. But he also said he wouldn't direct a James Bond movie either, as he does not do action sequences that are bigger than life. <laughs> that was his quote. It's like, What? The Gypsy Moths <laughs> is pretty big action in 1969, as I think that may have influenced Moonraker here, and John Cork is right. But wait, he also directed the 1976 movie Black Sunday. If, if you remember that movie, the same article says that Black Sunday, Robert Shaw, another Bond connection, of course, he was in From Russia With Love, is lowered from a helicopter onto a blimp piloted by terrorists. He hooks the blimp with a cargo line and the blimp is pulled away from the stadium, saving the stadium and all the people in it from the explosion. Hmm, 
Could that have inspired Michael G. Wilson and Richard Maybaum in their writing of License to Kill, which came out in 1989? Uh, we all remember that pre-title sequence. <laughs> so, now, it's, okay. <laughs> it's a good thing Frankenheimer wanted to stay away from bigger-than-life action movies. I think he had a change of heart because he had the opening and closing of Gypsy Moss. Then he had Black Sunday, Reindeer Games, Ronin, and, oh, yeah, The French Connection, too. Kind of makes sense that he doesn't want to do bigger-than-life action movies. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a crazy statement, but again, it's from back, you know, seven years before he started doing some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right, so back to Moonraker. Are you confused? Is Jaws still on the plane? <laughs> what the heck? We don't see Jaws jump from the plane, but all of a sudden, <laughs> he's maneuvering towards Bond in midair, as Bond did with the pilot. Man, Bond just doesn't get a break. <laughs> what the heck? Jaws does catch Bond, and he's about to bite Bond's legs with his steel teeth when Bond deploys his own chute, making Bond slow down while Jaws keeps falling. Yeah. Jaws goes to pull his chute, and the ripcord breaks, and he can't open it. Oh, my God. Lucky Bond got a good ripcord, though. Mm. <laughs> well, there, now, is a, there is a scene in, in Gypsy Moths yeah. where the guy pulls the ripcord, and it comes all the way out. It did break, but fortunately the chute's still open. Yeah. So we see a large tent below and circus music playing, and we see the unfortunate shot of George flapping his arms <laughs> like a bird trying to fly. That shot to me was pathetic yeah, and should have been skipped. <laughs> but there's a tension breaker for the pre-title sequence, an amusing circus-like stunt. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the act inside the circus tent is a high wire act. <laughs> of course, naturally. It's gotta be. <laughs> oh, clever no, I'm, I'm going back to a comment that I've said in other podcasts. But Vicky, I disagree with you about the Jaws wing flapping thing being pathetic. Oh. If some, for some crazy reason, I was in a situation where I was falling from the sky, <laughs> I probably would do a move similar to that. I'd be like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. And start flapping my wings. I mean, now, if I'd had skydiving training, probably not, but I haven't. And it doesn't really look like Jaws has either here. It's kind of like the Tarzan yell in Octopussy. There are people who totally hate that thing. But again, if I was on a vine for the first time, I'd let out that yell. I mean, maybe I don't want to give away my position if I'm Bond, but instinctively I would just do a, and just go on it. That's what you do, right? Yeah, okay. so, uh, well, yeah, I don't think if I come face to face with the tiger, I'd tell it to sit, though. Well, that's true. <laughs> now, although they do have to have a bit of fun in these movies, so I kind of like a few of these things because I could actually see if I was in those positions that I'd do that as silly as it looks like on screen. Yeah, okay, it's a comic relief, but I agree with Vicky. It's pathetic. <laughs> anyway, Jaws, of course, hits the center of the tent which acts as an airbag for him. And How Jaws nice. survives, we discover later. <laughs> Again, let's go back to hear Philip Latchford's comments about this. Yeah. Anyway, Bond pulls the, the ripcord. Up he goes, off to his new adventures. And uh, Jaws, however, he's uh, trying, to, trying, to stay, trying to stay afloat, as it were. Uh, look at him trying to fly. Uh, it's quite comical. You've got the comedy music in the background. Uh, I, I do actually like that. And then the landing in the circus tent. Um, now, they actually spent a whole day filming inside that circus tent because it was actually going to be part of a longer scene. And uh, when Jaws actually lands in the uh, in the trapeze, the trapeze net, uh, he's um, 
that's actually one of the last things they filmed on Moonraker, which is quite ironic because the, 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 the bit with the, the fighting in the air, that was one of the first scenes they filmed. So it's actually, it took the longest of any of the pre-title sequences from start to finish to film. And it's almost like the whole of the, the filming process. They had this, this whole pre-title sequence in, in mind. Anyway, that's a few of my thoughts. All right. Thanks again, Philip. We're transitioning to the title sequence here now. And we see the silhouette of Jaws spinning with the mesh of the tent behind. It's kind of a cool shot. Yeah, that spinning silhouette is an obvious callback to the Hitchcock movie Vertigo. Ah, okay. oh, absolutely. Right. And then when the silhouette stops, splayed out as the title sequence begins with other silhouettes of a parachute, a circus swing, a woman with hair flowing, nice transition to the title sequence as always. Note there is one white silhouette of a woman that flows down from top to bottom across the silhouetted man, who we assume is Jaws, right across the center of his body, chest, crotch, etc. And she is falling vertically with her arms outstretched like an American football goalpost. And the arms and head fly right past his crotch. Hmm. Maybe it's Dolly. Nothing is a coincidence <laughs> when it comes to Bond movies. <laughs> By the way, Dan, you mentioned earlier that uh, the jet was Apollo Airways. Yeah. Well, Air Apollo Airways is a real company serving Southern California for both passengers and cargo runs. And as it turns out, the skydiving stunts were indeed filmed in Southern California. Ah. So it makes sense that they used real local airlines. That's cool. And the, mm. the circus tent that Jaws falls into, if, if you notice, has a sign in front that reads in part, Husser Circus and Husser Brothers on the sign atop the white van that's on the left. So we couldn't find out any information if a Husser Circus ever really existed. We poked around well, a little bit on that one. But. Dan, you know me, and I looked a long time into this, trying to find something, even through the Circus Historical Society, which if you have a passion for circuses, you've got to find their website. It's got a ton of information. But I couldn't find anything with Husser Circus or Husser Brothers with Husser ending in ER as the signs in the movie used. Right. I did find something, though, that makes me think that this was an homage to a man called Philip Astley. There's right. a book called Astley Circus, The Story of an English Husser, H-U-S-S-A-R. Okay. As opposed to the sign on the van, which ended with E-R. Yeah. And this book talks about Philip Astley, who's considered the father of the modern circus. He pretty much, what we do in circuses today, back in the 18th century, he kind of designed what that looks like. Now, a Husser with an A-R is a member of an English military unit modeled after a Hungarian light cavalry. The ringmaster's costumes we see is very much based on the Husser cavalry with AR at the ending. So I think this was really a play on words and they were trying to give credit to the father of the modern circus without calling out explicitly. Wow. That would be some good research on their part of the writers to, to have found that. That's, They're smart. I give people. them credit if that's true. That's great. All right. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. And we'd like to thank our two guests, Philip Latchford and John Cork, for contributing to this podcast. All right, wow, who, man, Bond survives another pre-title sequence with some tremendous abilities, calm nerves, and cool, steady thinking. But where's the woman? 
<laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Maybe she got a leg up on these guys and jumped out another door or something. I don't know. But we never hear from her again. <laughs> like so many Bond women. Yeah. So that's a wrap on our decoding of the pre-title sequence on the James Bond movie, Moonraker. This has been Dan Silvestri, Tom Pizzotto, and Vicky Hodges of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Please subscribe to our show right now on your favorite podcast app and to our show channel on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. And help us out. Give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. That means a lot to us. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.